0: Welcome to The Business of Agriculture, a podcast where we talk about the world's most important industry. Food, fuel, fiber, farming. We're talking about agriculture, of course. I'm Damian Mason, your host. We get together here at least once a week with a new podcast, and I am so glad you're joining us because today, like every day, is going to be interesting for you. You're going to have cool stuff, good data, information, and maybe inspiration, also something you can take home. Today, we're talking about poop. We're talking about manure. We're also talking about animal agriculture. You see, I'm a farm boy. I'm from a dairy farm background. You probably know that if you listen and watch my stuff. I was raised on your basic Midwestern dairy farm. I come from a long line of dairy people. My dad was a herdsman, milked cows for other people on their farms growing up. I'm a dairy farm guy, I drink chocolate milk, I love meat, I scramble eggs, I wear leather, I'm all about animal agriculture. I'm guessing you are too. Here's the deal, if we are going to be in the business of animal agriculture, and if we're going to enjoy the products of animal agriculture, we need to understand the argument against us and our industry and our consumption. It frankly comes down to environmentalism. Got a very special guest today, he knows a lot about this whole issue, we're gonna talk about specifically The environmentalism effect on agriculture and the attack on our resource usage. You see, if you look at the environmental working group, if you look at HSUS, PETA, many of those who oppose eating of meat, drinking of milk, scrambling of eggs, wearing of leather, they are now going a direction of environmentalism. They've tried cruelty when I was a kid. There's a veal farm across the road here from my farm. It was, oh, veal's cruel, veal's cruel. So they've gone the cruelty route, and frankly, that's kind of run out of steam because now so many of you good agricultural people are putting videos online. You're showing them, hey, these animals aren't mistreated. And then remember the bad for you claims? Well, that's kind of gone out the window also. Books like uh, uh, The Big Fat Surprise by Nina Teicholz have said, you know what? Fat's not the enemy uh whole milk is the only category of fluid milk that's actually up right now if you didn't know that why because people don't fear the fat anymore because we've learned that animal fat fat in the milk fat in the food is not really necessarily the problem so they can't go with the bad for you they can't go with the cruelty so they're going down the environmental angle for instance cow farts methane co2 we hear this a lot uh um, usage of water and then of course, water table issues that contaminants get into our water because of agriculture, particularly animal agriculture. Nobody is going to stop eating meat or drinking milk. There's 2% of our population that's vegetarian and that's a hard, a number is not gonna change no matter how much PR they spend. So as an industry, what we need to do is look at what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. I've got a guest here is gonna help us do that. We're gonna talk specifically about manure and nutrient management because that is probably the biggest angle on this whole argument from an environmental standpoint against food production, that we're out here harming the environment, even though we know we are not. I've got with me today a nutrient separation specialist. His name is Jeremy Sanford, he keeps up with me on social media. He works for a former client of mine, that's Gia. you might think they're GEA or G-E-A, You know what, as long as you're doing business with them, they don't give two hoots in hell what you call them. Anyway, it is technically GIA. Uh, That's the big dairy company and hog company. They make manure management, manure products, and they make milking products. They used me in 2014 in Panama to do the Meeting of the Americas. All of their employees from North, South, and Central America convened in Panama at a resort and they put me on a stage two different times. It was a fantastic organization to work for and Jeremy was in that crowd. So I reached out to him to be today's special guest. Jeremy Sanford, welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast. Thanks Damien.
1: I appreciate it. I want to say it was one of the uh, the better speeches I've ever enjoyed as part of our, our company meetings. So.
0: You know what? You keep saying stuff like that. You're going to be a comeback guest on the Business of Agriculture podcast. <laughs> All right. I introduced you as a nutrient separation specialist, and the people have heard a lot from me. I want them to hear from you. What's a nutrient special a nutrient separation specialist do?
1: Actually, I cover North America for Gia, and uh, I'm working on hog and dairy farms. I uh, Visit the farms. We're we're really concerned with how the nutrients are getting applied to the land and the costs that they have related to that. So. I, I get to visit them. I look through the systems they have in place, see where we can improve them, and then see where we can advance them to uh, separate nutrients out so they can save some money.
0: Probably if you're listening to this podcast, you know a lot about agriculture anyhow. But if you don't, I'm just going to and give you the big scoop here. Uh, the idea that uh, milk, meat, and eggs are produced by somebody where uh, Bessie is out in the meadow and they go out and they say, come boss, come on, bossy, come on, Bessie, come in. And then she comes in, the guy sits on a little stool, milks a, her cow The cow into a bucket of milk. That doesn't happen. Let's face it. Dairy, just like every other industry, hog production, just like every other industry, is scaled up since the old McDonald's farm days. Manure issues do arise. If you look, and Jeremy will be able to back me up on this, if you look the way the media plays this, because remember, food and agriculture are hot buttons, because people eat every day. They live in suburbia, and they don't necessarily understand agriculture. So once a little bit of manure gets into a stream, oh my God, is it front page news. So Jeremy is a nutrient separation specialist, and obviously he's all about managing the manure, because to have pork chops to have cheese, you're gonna have manure. Anyway, what you're talking about now, Jeremy, is a better method. Tell us how manure used to happen. You've been around the business for a long time. You started out driving a truck, delivering dairy supplies to dairy farms. You've been around growing up in Michigan, around agriculture. Tell me about manure, manure practices of old, manure practices today, and where you see it going in the future.
1: Oh, absolutely. Back in the I mean way back in the day, they used to have a little chain at best that went around the back behind the cow and, and it would take the straw and the manure and the urine all out. And if they were real lucky, they had a thing called an elevator, which would stack it up. But they uh they began to found that uh, find that some of the uh seepage would leak away from those and, and they decided to contain it. So then they started building concrete walls around that. And then uh they they got tired of Pushing that manure around so so companies like Gia started inventing things like alley scrapers to pull it out of the barn for them It gets a little more liquid because uh, we're not bedding them with the long straw that we used to now It begins to go into a lagoon. So once it's in a lagoon, it's well-contained whether it's clay line concrete uh, Some sort of membrane system. It's lined
0: taken care of all contained within there So and now the way I think about uh, manure, because it hasn't changed a lot, but it's getting I think we're getting better at it because we're realizing, first off, as animal agriculture, as an industry, we face the, the scrutiny from neighbors on the smell. There's the issue that, oh, it stinks. There's the issue of, okay, they're out spreading this manure. Then there's the issue of, oh, we're going down the road with these huge tankers and spreaders and whatnot, so then we have a little bit of scrutiny from our, our suburban neighbors with that. But then there's the other issue that this manure is getting uh, – where it shouldn't be. And I think this is going to be the, the bad part is uh, that's where the, the detractors have a leg up on us. We have had some issues where this is happening. It doesn't happen like uh, that often. And frankly, we're getting way better at it. What do you think about the, the future of manure management? We're going to get better at it from an environmental standpoint? Absolutely. At, you know, producers, I don't care if they're hog
1: or dairy. They want to be good neighbors. They don't want to be driving down the road when, when you're having little Johnny's graduation party or, or your family picnic or what's going on. So they're always worried about their neighbors. They're worried about putting tractors and tanks on the field. Uh, they have to drive down the road to get there. So they're concerned about that. Uh, they're concerned about what's happening with water in the world and, and the nutrients. So to advance farther in their industry ahead of regulations and, and other things, They want to get out and they want to separate those nutrients so they're not spending so much time hauling water. And they also want, when when we separate those nutrients out, some of that stink, those cow farts that you're worried about or they're worried about, uh, tends to go away. All right. So
0: the point is we want to make sure that we've set the table here. You're listening to this podcast. You're like, yeah, I got it. I'm listening to the business of agriculture. I've got my, my friend, Damien Mason. Yeah, that's me, by the way, at Damien P. Mason. Is my Twitter handle Damien Mason on Facebook, uh, professional speaker, Damien Mason on LinkedIn. We do want you to keep up with us. This is Jeremy Sanford with GIA or G-E-A or GIA. You can call it whatever you want, but technically it's GIA. They make all sorts of equipment for berries and for hogs operations to handle manure and milk. Here's the deal. We know in the old the old system, yeah, you piled up your manure and you went out and spread it. And then things got more, uh, shall we say, technically advanced. And I remember things like these big storage tanks, and we still do that. We have lagoons, and now we're talking about a new, more innovative method to handle this manure. Big picture, maybe you're a crops guy and you do know this. Maybe you're you're not around livestock and you don't really understand it. Manure has value. So what Jeremy's gonna tell us about now is this process that he thinks is the future of manure management because first off, manure has value. It has organic matter, it has nutrients, it has water. That's what's in manure, those three things. Tell me how we can benefit from this new idea that you think, this new system, the way you think the future goes versus today, how we're gonna get more value out of our manure.
1: I think nutrient separation is is the wave of the future for for any type of manure that's applied to the field. They're already doing it a little bit in chicken manure by burning it down, doing some things like that. But if you look at how these guys get the manure to the field, right now it's either a tank or a drag line. One of those two ways. Um, and, you know, it, to, to haul that manure out to the field, it's a penny and a half a gallon. That's the money they spend. Um, we do a lot of calculations on, on how much time they spend on the road. Um, the miles they have to drive and what they have to put on there. If we can take that and eliminate the water out of that, the reduction is about 90, 95% of the overall quantity uh, that they have to haul down the road. So So
0: just if our listeners are kind of coming along and like, okay, I think I get that. You must understand that, uh, when when these operations are moving manure, also they have a lot of water that gets used to wash the facilities. So there's a, and then if it's an outdoor lagoon, it's catching rainwater. So what Jeremy's explaining here is when we're hauling manure from a livestock operation, we got a lot of water. Well, how much do you want to spend, and how many miles do you want to truck water? Because the bulk of manure is water, and you're talking about now. a a penny and a half per gallon, you ran some numbers when you were preparing this for me, you said on a 1500 cow dairy they might spend a quarter of a million dollars a year just hauling manure, and that doesn't count pushing it, that doesn't count a couple other things, that's a quarter of a million dollars a year is your estimate on just hauling manure. That's just after it's in the lagoon. Okay, so you've got an idea that in the future we're going to take less trips, we're going to spend less Time and money hauling water. How are we going to do that?
1: Well, get the water out to a to a um, material that they can easily apply on a field. What I would recommend, at least in the beginning of this process, is they're probably going to look at an irrigation pivot. Um, you know, to give you an idea that that same fifteen hundred cow dairy you brought up over five hundred acres, that's only an inch of rain. If we've got the majority of the nutrients out, where either the cover crop or the growing corn can utilize those nutrients right away. So,
0: so if this said example, dairy had access to 500 acres nearby and they could just run irrigation lines from the source. And then if the manure was able to be separated, the solids and the nutrients from the water, we'd be able to put in a pipe that remaining water and just irrigate 500 acres nearby within a mile of the farm. Right? Yep. That's correct. Okay. So now we've got that water handled and now we just irrigated. So we're using that up, uh, The only thing is, I don't want to irrigate in February. I don't want to irrigate. I'm in northern Indiana. I don't want to irrigate in January or December. So I have to have enough capacity. Most of these facilities have enough capacity to hold that water until May, June, June, July when you need the water. Oh, absolutely. And and most of
1: them are probably actually going to uh, put that out in the fall. That's where a cover crop comes in. But the regulations on any of these farms are saying usually 180 days of storage. So most of them have it. And even most farms are going well beyond that now.
0: So they have at least half a year of capacity to store that farm's manure that 's correct okay, so you've got an idea here that we get rid of the water now, what do we do with the rest of the stuff Jeremy? You got rid of ninety seven percent of manure is water ninety five percent is water. What do you do with the remaining three, seven, five percent depending on the stage of separation they
1: go to in the beginning they 're going to have mainly phosphorus that 's the cheapest and easiest one to get out. The, uh, there's a lot of companies out there beginning to look, if, if you think of a fertilizer company, you see those liquid fertilizer trucks dragging around. They're doing the same thing. If we can get that all back to a solid fertilizer, which there are some companies out there looking for this in a big hurry. They take that think- solid fertilizer and they can put it on the fields farther okay. away. Do you think this
0: has, a, this has a saleable product? This actually has a potential to be sold, not just used by that particular dairy operation. It can be sold to the neighbors. Absolutely. Sold to the neighbors fifty miles away,
1: whatever. Yep. And they're looking to custom blend that, make it into what people want to buy. Are you seeing this happening?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Company in Wisconsin doing it right now.
0: Fantastic. All right. Tell me, let's talk about money. By the way, you listen to the business of agriculture. I'm your your host, uh, Damian Mason. I've got Jeremy Sanford with Gia online. We're talking about environmentalism and the angle on animal agriculture because environmentalists want you to not eat meat. They institute a thing called Meatless Monday, Environmental Working Group, all the other organizations that claim to be environmentalists that some of them really are just out here trying to control the American diet. And their biggest tool in their arsenal, their, their, their arrow in their quiver is environmentalism bastardize, if you will, environmentalism, and they're going to tell you that all this water gets wasted by large agriculture. They're going to tell you that they use all this fuel to go out and drive around in the fields. They're going to tell you about how cow methane and CO2 emissions are causing climate change. Well, we're saying, hey, we've got an environmental story for you. We've got buffer strips out here, so our streams are protected. We've got no-till. We're doing cover crops. We've got recycling uh, going mad out here. You know where our feed sacks, we got our plastic gets recycled. So what's your what's your argument against us? So as an industry, we can sell an environmental story, and Jeremy Sanford has a couple of points about how we utilize our manure. Now we've just gotten so much value out of the manure by using it in the water for irrigation and now the nutrients. All right. What do we got? We got some solids. Also, what do we do with
1: those? Uh, typically, the solids are going to be piled, just like we talked about. They'll take those solids, uh, either look for a fertilizer company that's interested. It's going to have to be in the agricultural industry. Uh, they're either going to use it to, as a saleable product, or they have ground that they can use that that maybe you know we were talking earlier about eight, ten miles away. Some of these guys are got ground twenty and thirty miles away. That's phosphorus. Uh, excuse me, phosphorus. Um, they don't have enough phosphorus on it. Phosphorus to Phosphorus is the word I wanted. Yes. Um, anyways, now they can take that dry solid. They can haul it there at a reasonable rate, get it onto those fields that need it. Or again, they can uh, put it up as a saleable product
0: for the crop farmers of the world. Okay. What, uh, what we've got here going on is, is a, a new system. And you talked to me before we went live on this about centrifuging. And these people listening are listening, they're saying, what? Tell us about this. Because they think, okay, cows go to the bathroom, hogs go to the bathroom, then what? Tell us about the new system, which you call the genius, and you think this is going to be the future of ag. I actually think it probably has some potential to be the future of animal ag. Also, I agree with you. Not just because your company's been a client, but because I think the more we can do to remove ourselves from an argument about the environmental impact of livestock, the better off we're going to be. So tell us about your new product, the genius, and the centrifuge uh, method.
1: Yeah, sure. Gia's been doing this uh, centrifuge since the late 1800s from the uh, first hand crank milk separators, cream separators. Um, What we're doing today, if you put manure into a lagoon, little fun figure for you if you want, uh, the average dairy cow gives you about uh, 20 gallons of manure and urine a day. So every dairy cow is putting that into a lagoon. We have gravity working on that. The solids begin to settle. Over 180 days, they settle to the bottom. In the centrifuge, we take that same manure, we put it in, we actually accelerate the force of gravity over 3,000 times. We get those solids out and underneath of a minute. So that's what's coming out the end of the solids and the liquids in a separated form.
0: All right. Where does this happen? Doesn't it, so it goes into the lagoon, comes out of the lagoon, goes through the centrifuge, and that's where the separation we prefer happened? not, actually. Uh, we'd
1: prefer to do it on a daily basis. So okay. before any of the biological breakdown begins to occur, we get the, the manure every day. We just do it a continuous run process. They don't have to worry about starting, stopping. As the manure comes out, goes into a small pit, goes through the centrifuge, goes through the rest of the genius system, and drops right there in the two piles one to be hauled away when they need the phosphorus the other to be uh irrigated at the correct time of year
0: okay and then uh, well, a third pile i thought we got water we got the uh nutrient dense stuff and we got just plain old organic matter which is like unspent hay and uh things like that right
1: yep we want to get uh, you know on uh, manure is not always just manure i have a, a, a nice presentation i give guys what is manure but there's a lot of extra things that get uh deposited in those holes in the ground uh, so we run them over uh, a separator beforehand. A very inexpensive machine, very few moving parts. Take out the the heavy solids that are easy, and those are the the material you're talking about. There, just the soil amendments.
0: Got it. All right. One thing that I thought had a lot of potential, uh, and I keep up not nearly as much as you, is digesters. Uh, I thought this was a good idea because it's what uh, you're hearing about. You're seeing that you can generate energy with a digester. Tell us a little bit about digesters and why you think this is either going to be the future or not the future. Are digesters going to play a role? Uh, The digester
1: industry has kind of uh, slowed down tremendously, and a lot of that's based on the government
0: money that's not going into it anymore. So it made sense just like windmills <laughs> or, or me putting solar uh, cells up on my roof in Indiana, which only gets 80 days of sunshine per year. As long as the government's going to tax refund or tax rebate me uh, enough, I can justify it. Is that the way digesters were? They didn't actually pencil out? Uh, Most
1: of them, I guess, for the
0: most part, without that
1: backup. Uh, There are actually some in Indiana uh, that are running and very profitably uh, work well on the farm there. It all depends on how much that electrical company is willing to pay for those carbon credits.
0: Okay. So again, it makes sense as long as there's carbon credits or a marketplace like that. It doesn't necessarily pencil out on a pure economic basis. No, I think that comes back uh,
1: and I think you'll see this both in the nutrient recovery and in the digester, it only begins to make sense when somebody else is running it. Our, our dairy farmers like to milk cows. Our hog producers like to grow hogs. Uh, that they, They're not looking to be a, a plant operator in life as far as the digester goes. So I think we need to get other companies involved and and we see that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that. We should do what we do well, and we, we say, all right, if there's a product here and it makes sense for us, and you're the electric cooperative or you're the electric company, then that's fine, we can team up on this. But in the meantime, I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna do what I do, which is make milk or grow grow pigs. Okay, a couple of thoughts here. And again, thank you for tuning into the Business of Agriculture podcast with my guest, Jeremy Sanford with Gia. Environmentalism is a religious movement. You've heard me say it on this podcast, I put it on social media all the time. While organized religion in North America is actually declining, my mother, a devoutly religious woman, died last year, there's nobody taking her space at the pew right now. I'm not making a judgment about that, I'm just telling you that's what it is. But people, humans, still want to have causes. And from my perspective, I see environmentalism as a replacement to religion for many people. They, they want to feel as though they are doing something great for the earth. And so it doesn't take much effort for some cause group to get these folks whipped into a frenzy and convince them that if they just don't eat cheeseburgers, then the world will be a better place. If they just skip meat and don't drink milk, it'll be a better place. And then are going from an environmental standpoint. Uh-huh. Look at that. Jeremy just had a little interruption. Here. So I guess the point is Jeremy is a nutrient separation specialist, and we think that maybe this might be the future of animal agriculture. We can sell our story, push on from a PR standpoint. You know what? But the folks listening to my podcast say, that's great, but tell me about what it does for me. Here's what it does for you. And uh, you don't have to go out there on your field. Now if you get yourself a little bit more time with this, you don't have to go out there when it's untimely. Talk about that, Jeremy.
1: Yeah, they can, they can now get on that field when, when they're not going to disturb their neighbors, you know, it, it, when it's not wet out. If it's raining in the spring, they get in trouble because the uh, the fields are too wet to go in, doesn't make fiscal sense for them to be in that field, so they have to sit and wait. Again, we can apply that uh, irrigated water as we need it. If If we have a wet year and we don't need it on our growing corn crop, that's fine. We can wait till after harvest, put a cover crop in, and we can put it on there. Again, the solids can be applied anytime. They can be stored for years. That that nutrient-dense cake can be stored. If you don't eat any this year, fine. If, if you think that it's going to become a commodity next year and you want to hold it, just like guys do with, with corner beans, hold on to it. It's it's not going to lose that as long yeah, as you get it. When I looked control. at
0: your notes and we talked pre-taping, I thought the best part of this, frankly, was not just the environmental story, but the fact that it gives you flexibility. You gave me an example of a, a Wisconsin producer that had – a problem where he had no choice but to get his manure out because he, had, he, was, he was maxed out so he's got to go out there and put this stuff out there when the conditions were not right it's too wet so all of a sudden he has to wait he has to wait he drag lines he applies all this manure but it puts his corn planting back by 30 or 40 days next thing you know you just hurt your yield by 40 50 percent
1: you know this guy had to go back uh, 30 days on corn so his his corn yield was down And at the end of the day, the money he lost in corn yield that year was half the cost of this system. So two years, two times it happens, and we all know it happens. Mother nature gets us. He would have paid for the system.
0: Got it. All right. We're not here just to talk about manure management, but we are talking about the business of agriculture as we do every time you tune in here. We're going to wrap things up now. Big picture business of agriculture. You are on, you told me you go on, on the road 150 days a year. You've been to operations throughout North America, cause that's your job. You go and see what's going on in the world of manure management and animal agriculture. Biggest mistakes you see. What do you see happening from your angle in the business of animal agriculture?
1: I think it's twofold. Um I think one of the mistakes we make is is not getting out in front of people and, and telling them that we, we are doing what they're requesting. We are being uh, environmental stewards. We are looking for new and different ways. The other, the other one, which is even bigger, is I think too many guys uh, don't communicate in this industry. We all want to keep private what we do. Uh, I see a, a lot of times where people put in failed systems. In their manure, I don't care what it is, what brand it is. They put in a failed system and they keep it quiet. You go out and talk to these guys. that I just really think they need some sort of uh, discussion forum that they can have and talk about what they've done, what they see working, and what was a sound investment for their money.
0: You know, that might be the benefit of social media. While it, it's it's not everybody's a cup of tea, and I know that sometimes it even frustrates me. I have people that fight with me on social media. Uh, I always make the crack, you know, when they type in capital letters with exclamation points, it means they don't like what I said. But one good thing about social media is we have people that now can share information, and maybe this is a good thing. If you've got something going on, you know, we're not talking about cheap systems. These people are spending hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep their business afloat, and now all of a sudden they got a problem.
1: That's her yeah. The money that's spent on these, I I was just with Oderryman in New York a couple weeks ago and, and he was said I was talking to another guy and we decided we should exchange our million dollar junk piles to see if they can make what work what we couldn't.
0: So hate to hear about that. Jeremy, what do you see happening in meat, milk, and eggs today that will be vastly different a decade from now? Anything?
1: Well, I, you know, I personally, I really enjoy my cheeseburgers and I even enjoy mine with a fried egg on top. So I think it's going to come back. I think it's going to come back even farther. We've seen the, the recent comments and, and health articles that meat and eggs and, and pork are all very healthy for you, actually do treat you well. Uh, I think we're going to see the robotic milking continue to alleviate some of the, the labor force that, problems that we have out there. I think it's going to need to be push-button farming that they thought they were talking about 40 years ago, but the push-button farming of 2020 is going to be unbelievable.
0: Probably will. Most folks, though, the you know, the, the, I watched on CNN, which I don't like, a few years ago, and they were at a large dairy farm. And they said, they talked about milking machines, and they said, well, you know, in case you're wondering, we don't milk these cows by, hands any, by hand anymore. And I thought, surely to God, even the dumbest suburbanite doesn't think that you still go out and squeeze the, the teats on Bessie but then the idea that they have machines that do it also was such a misinformed miscommunication because now probably somebody thought that a machine just walks out there and milks these cows. We know in the business that yes, we have automatic feeders in our hog operation, but that doesn't mean that you're still not labor involved. Dairy, even more so labor involved. I agree that we're going to get more mechanization just because of the labor squeeze. But these are a couple of industries when it comes to livestock, it's just really hard. I mean, you'll have autonomous tractors before you'll have, full uh, full tilt autonomous milkers and chicken uh, tenders and all that kind of thing. Tenders, meaning tending the chickens, not chicken tenders. Okay. Jeremy Sanford, guest, GIA employee, manure guy, nutrient separation specialist. He's going to give us one last thought before he goes out the door. One lesson or takeaway for our listeners here on the business of agriculture that you've gleaned from your career in agriculture. You were around farming your, as a kid. You worked as an employee of a dairy uh, retailer, if you will, and you ran a route going out and hauling supplies, and you've been with GIA for the last 10 years. You cover all over North America. Tell me what one takeaway or lesson, something for our listeners you've gleaned.
1: Biggest thing for me, Damien, is, is following up with references given by the potential partners that you want to work with. They, they give you phone numbers. They give you people to call. Call those people. Ask them the hard questions. Don't ask them if
0: they're happy with their system. Ask them what goes wrong with it. That's fantastic. You know, you're spending a lot of money. And like you said, not just, oh, do you love this? Find out really critical information. I say all the time, support. I make this crack about business. My wife and I are in business together. Support doesn't mean somebody telling you how awesome you are. Support isn't somebody that says, hey, at least you tried. And support isn't saying, gosh, yeah, we like our system, Jeremy. Sometimes the support you need is critical feedback and truth. Whether it's your own business or whether it's something you did wrong, sometimes truth and critical feedback is really good for you because now you know what the hell you're doing right or wrong. Jeremy Sanford, last, last word.
1: Thank you for your time. I've always appreciated listening to you Damien and uh, I hope you can convince him to bring it back again.
0: Hey, I'm ready to do it, although Panama is a little bit of a long trip. All right, you've joined us, me, Damian Mason, your host here on the Business of Agriculture. My guest was Jeremy Sanford with GIA. We talked all about nutrient management, where manure goes in the future, the environmental movement against animal agriculture, trying to control what Americans eat and put you out of business. We're not going to let them because we're doing really, really good things when it comes to our resource uses and also our resource of manure that we're using in a better, more efficient way. Thanks for joining me, catch me here again. Thanks a lot,
1: bye.